Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosofsky, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Fantastic. So it's time for another film festival. Time for another big one. It's time for Hot Dogs, right? Yes, it's uh, one of the premier documentary film festivals where you get to see a lot of great docs that pretty much meet any particular taste and you're bound to discover some really unique and interesting stories. It's uh, it's just a, a great festival. So we're definitely going to be talking about some of those films that we've seen so far and um, films that you should keep an eye out for. Do you want to kick Absolutely. things off? I, I think yes. you saw Gabor. Is it? Yes. Yes. You know what? I, it's, it's a, uh, it's a pleasure to, to start off our coverage with a film that is uh, just Playful, quirky, feel good. Um, and it's not a slag against other documentaries. It's just that sometimes documentaries are very, very serious. Um, they need to be, you know, they bring up um, and they dive into some of, that, some of the most serious issues in the world and we're all the better for it. But I always find there's a point in the festival, any festival, where I need something uplifting, you know, I need something just, yeah, feel good. That's, that's the, the best phrase I can use. And a film called Gabor, it's a Canadian film and it's directed by Joni Lafreniere. And it's a film about Gabor Schlesi. He is a Hungarian born photographer, 93 young years of age. Um, so you could best describe his, his photography as social documentary photography. Um, he, his work really stands apart in the sense that there's a lot of, it's defined by a humanism, you know? It, he just loves people and it's clear in the film, it's clear when he speaks, it's clear when he interacts with people that, that that's what, what he that's the place he's coming from this just this love of humanity and it just naturally comes out in his photography and the whole premise of the of the documentary is that you know um the filmmaker is an old friend of his she wants to to go on a trip well actually it's kind of a road movie she wants to like go on this road trip with him where they get to and to go and hang out at all these old places with all you know people that he's he's met along the way uh, and just revisit places and people and so he's there to to talk about his work he's there to talk about you know his life and his philosophy and we get to know him um but also uh, like what's wonderful is not only do we get to see some of his work some of his work in the present the present tense of the film, you know, in the sense that he's meeting these people and then taking their photographs. You, you see that process, but we are reintroduced to his, some of his older work, or in my case, introduced to his older work. I didn't know about his, his work before. And also uh, the, the film itself is like a performance piece. Uh, they both obviously have a lot of fun together. And so they just, the whole thing is structured in this very playful way uh, with each segment. And 
So yeah, I, I just, I really, I really love this film and I recommend it. Oh, that's very good. It sounds very interesting. Uh, one I want to recommend that I think is falls along the same lines of being a, a, a crowd pleaser is My Old School. Um, it is a UK film from Jono McLeod. And the film is one of those kind of stranger than fiction type stories. And it tells the tale of Brandon Lee, who at 16 years old gets sent to um, Glasgow to live with his grandmother because his mother was an opera singer and she's killed in this car accident. So he's kind of like that awkward kid at school. And slowly he starts to build a bit of clout. Um, he's, he gets a group of friends, he, you know, his knowledge of like music and, you know, at the time, 80s music in particular was seen as quite revolutionary for those kids in the 90s who didn't know about a lot of these 80s bands. And something happens while on spring break that causes a great scandal. And I don't want to go into any more detail, but the the film itself is a delight. Um, and it is, as I said, it's one of those where you'll hear once the scandal starts to unfold and you start to dig in to the life of Brandon Lee. There's a lot of jaw-dropping moments and you have interviews with his former classmates. Brandon Lee himself is interviewed, but you don't see him. Who you do see in his place is Alan Cumming, the, the actor. And the reason for that is there was apparently going to be a fictional version of the Brandon Lee story um, years ago. And Andy, um, Alan Cumming was supposed to be playing the main character. So in a bit of uh, meta filmmaking, they brought in Alan Cumming to basically mouth the words that Brandon Lee is, is speaking and kind of, you get various sides of this really wild story that really touches on tabloid culture in in our society um and how we love the sensationalism but at what cost um so it's 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 quite a fascinating film and it's just one that you you really can't miss so that's that's my old school that's playing um if we want to change gears a little bit i know you saw midwives do you want to tell people about that oh midwives midwives is an incredible film um I don't think enough people talked about it when it played at some, I mean, they did. And it got a special jury prize for excellence in verite filmmaking um, by the world cinema documentary. So, okay. It, it got a prize and that that's fantastic. Um, But I just hope people really, um, really go and see this film because it's just, in terms of intimate observational documentary and the, and it, it's absolutely, they were absolutely right in, in giving it this, this special prize for Verite filmmaking because uh, it's filmed over five years. And what we get is this distilled version of like the best and most telling moments. And sometimes they're not the best. Sometimes they're the worst moments, but they are, they're always the most telling moments mostly between these two midwives um, 
One that is uh, the, um, the owner of a birthing clinic and um, she's a Buddhist and I'm telling you these things for a reason you'll, you'll see in a second. One is a Buddhist and one is a Muslim. And the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, they are in the Rohingya state. They're, they're living in the Rohingya state, even though the woman is Buddhist and she owns this clinic. Um, but there's a lot of tension. It, it, this is a film that takes place in Myanmar. And uh, so what you see over the five years is how the, the tensions between the two groups within the country, you know, start to rise. Um, and yet how important this clinic is for these uh, Rohingya women. And also the importance of this relationship to both women, uh, especially, especially the Muslim woman. Uh, she is being taught, uh, her name is Nono, and she's being taught by Hla how to be a midwife, basically. And um, so in offering this glimpse into their day-to-day -day lives, it really gives us insights into uh, relationships, relationships between women, um, but also tensions, how tensions in Myanmar grew and, and mounted and how, how these tensions affect individual people, you know, individual lives. And you really, I mean, I'm not giving that much away. You, you really have to see the film to see how it builds this. And it does this just by focusing on day to day and letting little trickles of the, I'm calling it the outside reality, but it's, it's outside of the community reality. But then things start to happen in the community and it just, it starts to build in this really touching, uh, incredibly powerful way. Oh, yeah. that, sounds, that sounds very good. Uh, there was, cause you were talking about the observational approach and that sounds similar to when I believe that you also saw African moot. Do you want to talk about that one? Oh yeah. African moot is also very intense, uh, but in a completely different way. Um, African moot is about students from across Africa. They're studying to be lawyers. And what happens is this is um, a film that takes place over the course of one week in Botswana where they have gathered to have um, a moot court. And a moot court is where, you know, everybody like court goes into session, but um, they're not really arguing a real case. They're arguing a fictional case. And what happens is they do go, everyone goes before the chief justice or the chief justices um, and someone wins, someone wins, it's a competition. And so what you have is uh, teams from each university and they are chosen. Like you cannot just enter and go. You're chosen. So that part is a competition. And then when you finally get to Botswana, then you're in the competition. And because of the observational style, again, we get to know these individuals very well. And the dynamics between the partners, you know, from any given university and the dynamics between universities and how people are interacting um, when they all get to Botswana and you know so you, you sort of had this like 
this different kind of university student at body atmosphere because they now they are all a different student body, right? Um, but they all have the same goal and they all really, really want to, um, to win. And they have different reasons for winning. And when, when the filmmaker, um, Shamila Sidat, when she, when she not allows them to speak, but when she, when they finally open up to her and you hear their various stories, their personal stories, and you understand how, how much it means to every person. And so that's why it's, it's kind of a nail biter of a film because I found myself rooting for so many people that it was like the tension when they finally got up to, to argue, right. In, in the, the cases or the case, it was one case, each of them argue and they each argue it from both opposing sides. Each team has to argue prosecution and defense. So um, yeah, it's, um, it's a nail biter. It's the really, the stress level was getting me by, you know, it's, but it's, it's, um, it's life affirming in the end, you know, like it's, it's a positive experience in the end because yes, there are winners and there are losers, but um, what an experience to go through with, with, uh, with these young people. Mm-hmm. This, you know, hearing you talk about that one made me think of another one that I saw that's playing that I would put in the nail biter category. And that's uh, Navalny, um, the documentary by Daniel um, Roher, who, Basically, t- was following Alexander, um, or sorry, Alexei Navalny. Um, and for those who don't know the story of Alexei Navalny, he is a lawyer turned um, politician, and he decided to challenge Vladimir Putin in one of the most recent um, presidential elections. And if you know the state of um, Russia and Putin, you don't mess with with Putin. He's he's there's been a lot of questionable things, and I'll just leave it at that. But um, in August of 2020, while on a plane trip from Siberia to, to Moscow, Navalny was poisoned, <laughs> he, he, and it looked like his life was going to end. But miraculously, he survived thanks to an emergency landing. So this film follows that story um, and talks about the political climate in Russia, but a a good portion of it is following Navalny as his wife is trying to get him out of the Russian hospital because the Russian doctors are claiming that, oh, they need to um, tend to him. And the Russian state media is saying, oh, he wasn't poisoned. He was taking drugs, throwing out all these different theories and once the wife finally puts enough um, pressure and the global media starts to, to take notice of what's going on, they release Navalny and he gets to go to a hospital in Germany where he is kind of nursed back to health. And from there, the film takes on a really type of um, investigative approach. And you discover that Navalny starts to work with journalists because they're trying to piece together and find proof that he was indeed um poisoned 
and the lengths that they go to, how they're able to narrow down the individuals who um, might have potentially been involved and the revelations that occur are, are just jaw dropping. And as someone who knew essentially how the story was going to play out, I was still kind of at the edge of my seat for, for a lot of it. Um, I, I thought this film was really well constructed. Um, every moment you're kind of wondering is like, oh, is the, the Russian police force going to break in? What's going to happen when they travel here? You know, even them walking about in Germany in like a remote part of Germany, you still a little uneasy because you don't know who's watching them. It's, it's, it really does kind of keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, I kind of wish the film had dug into Navalny's um, political policies a little bit more. Like they, they present him as the voice for the people, you know, the, whereas Putin is very much authoritarian, his way of the, or the highway, um, Navalny is very much about building back Russia and helping the people, have, letting the people have a voice, letting them have good jobs and stuff. But then there's also a part of Navalny's history, which even he kind of glosses over. Um, and that's in some of the marches and stuff that he's partaken in. There were, I guess, individuals that you would consider extreme far right or Nazi sympathizers that were marching along. And there's one particular scene in the film where Navalny kind of says, oh, that's I always get questions about that, you know, and, and he kind of brushes it off. And he, he frames it as like, well, you know, sometimes you need to stand beside those who you don't necessarily agree with for the greater good. And it's like, but I don't know if that's necessarily true when it comes to Nazi sympathizers and, you know, like he, he was a little too glib about that. And I wish the film had pressed him on it a bit more, but I mean, at the same time, I guess it goes against the heroic narrative that they are trying to build. But overall, I thought it was a, a very well done film. And I think Navalny is one that you should definitely check out. That sounds uh, amazing. Yep. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about deconstructing Karen? Cause that was one that I had on my short list. Oh, deconstructing Karen. Now there's an experience. Okay. So uh, I, I recommend everybody see this. It's uh, it's a film that really is going to prompt uh, a lot of discussion. At least I hope so, because if it doesn't prompt discussion, uh, there's something wrong. There's, I mean, I know there's lots of things that are wrong, and especially when it comes to uh, white people talking about racism and white people owning racism. But seriously, guys, we gotta, I mean, guys as in everybody, <laughs> this, this is like an eye opener, you know, in ways like, you know, okay, let me, let me get my bearings here. Cause I'm like going off in a number of different directions. Deconstructing Karen by Patty Ivins is, uh, is about a, an organization sort of event, like an event oriented organization called Race to Dinner, uh, started by two women of color. And uh, so Saira Rao and Regina Jackson, they started it because they felt like one way that they could help facilitate discussions of race relations, racism in general, was possibly by going on a smaller scale that it, not just you know the larger like protests and and things like that but on a, going on a smaller scale they realized that white women were a big 
cause of uh, a problem, but they were also a big cause of potential cause of change, right? And so they thought that if they like honed in and, and decided to, to do something where they could have just reach a few people, you know, as they phrase it, it's like, even if we could reach one person, if we can start a dialogue with one person and have her understand. Um, and so what they came up with race to dinner is to have a dinner party with white women. And uh, they charge for this. So it, it, so far it looked like it was um, mostly like richer, the richer kind of white women, but you know, they, they need to reach, they just felt like they needed to reach these women. Uh, and that if they had a conversation at the table, breaking bread, you know, uh, in, in this sort of setting where people sort of relax and eat and share, that, that maybe they could get somewhere. And so they've been running these, these dinners, right? And the hope was that um, you have this conversation, they facilitate the discussion and um, help the, the women each to understand how she, through small things, um, just makes it worse, makes situations worse, right? Um, how understanding her behavior, understanding her reactions, understanding uh, not just the Karen syndrome, but understanding that, you know, just uh, through crying, you know, they have this rule, no crying. If you have to cry, go leave the table. Because what happens when a white woman cries? All the focus goes to her. So the focus goes away from the discussion. And so these discussions, I've, what, what we have in this film is one situation um, with one group of women talking and the dynamic that happens and the conversation, it's like they're filming the conversation and you get the reactions from the, the different women and, and how the facilitators then break down, you know, because the, one of the first things that happens is like a couple of the blonde women are like, I know what discrimination is like because people think I'm dumb because I'm blonde. And, you know, nobody can see my face right now except Courtney. <laughs> so, it's not that it's not that surprising. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, you're, so you just sort of like you go, oh, you know, thank God I'm in a dark theater <laughs> watching this. Um, but I don't know, like that's, that's going to be the interesting thing is what is going to happen in that dark theater when people start to see this. I mean, it goes from there. That's the, that's the beginning of the reactions, right? And then, and then the women, the facilitators, I mean, they just go deeper and deeper and just sort of like deconstruct, yes, deconstruct each reaction. And the pushback that they get and help try to help each woman to understand that the pushback is as a result of something, you know, is, is, a, is a defensive something, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the rest because it really, must, no matter what I've said, it really must be experienced. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that definitely sounds like a um, a conversation 
starter. And it's funny because I just read uh, the book Nice Racism, um, which was written by the the author of White Fragility. And a lot of the stuff that she mentions in that book is exactly what you were were saying about how, you know, the 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 unequal comparisons, the the getting defensive rather quickly, um, feeling that they're essentially above the issue or they know the issue unless until it's turned on them and then the tears flow and stuff. So I, I'm sure that's definitely going to be a, a conversation starter. Yeah, I hope so. I hope a lot of people see this one deconstructing mm-hmm. Karen. Um, another one I'm going to mention uh, which I know that you saw as well and we were a fan of was Framing Agnes. Um, and this is a, a wonderful conversation starter. And I think especially considering what's going on in the, the U.S. with a lot of these laws and bills are being put in place to limit any type of discussion uh, of individuals with, who are transgendered, this film... I think is a, is coming at just the the perfect time. Um, this is the latest film um, by Case Joint, and he uh, they were one of the two directors from that um, No Ordinary Man, a film that we saw at TIFF, I believe it was last year, um, which was sensational. And in this film, Joint focuses in on a study a research study that UCLA did in the 1950s and 60s about sex disorders. And as part of that study, um, researchers interviewed a number of transgendered individuals, and including this um, one individual that who's known as Agnes. So in this documentary, they take a lot of the um, interviews and reenact them. And they pull in trans actors to to fill in various roles and while you're hearing the interview questions and responses and and a lot of those interview questions are are very personal um you know some of them go way beyond the pale belief um that but you also see how the actors themselves are using the film and the roles are playing to think about their own experiences and also just the history of being um, a trans individual in, in society um, back then and also now and the differences, the advancements, how things have gone backwards. It's a really fascinating tale and it's kind of like that film within a film structure and it's done in such a, a fascinating way that um, if you have seen No Ordinary Man, you will definitely enjoy this one. And if you haven't, this is a great introduction for, for this director. Yeah, I absolutely love the way Chase Joint just takes like um, genres, uh, styles of film, you know, fiction, drama, a, a documentary, and just sort of like breaks through them, breaks them up into pieces and sort of reassembles them in a different way. In a in a most creative way, in this in this film, you know, it's it's as if uh, the past, uh, you know, that includes these these studies, um, and the present of the film, which is you know these actors filming this film 
and talking to the director and, you know, not constructing the character, but, you know, trying to bring that character to life, trying to bring Agnes to life where there's other characters, you know, in the film that, that all those moments sort of flow in this most fluid way, you know, back and forth and in and out. Um, And, and what it, what the, the film itself says about history you know, like trans people have been virtually erased from history. But the film then asks, but does a trans individual really want the weight of history on their back? <laughs> you know, like it really asks important questions like that as well. Um, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating how this film is just constructed. It won. Um, the in, there's a se- section of Sundance called the next section. So it won the next innovator award and it won the audience award for that section of Sundance. So uh, and this, this is a lively vibrant, like it's alive, this film, it's not just, you know, a film, it's something living and yeah, a conversation definitely. Mm-hmm. And another conversation piece um, that also makes us look at people in a different light is I didn't see you there. Do you want to tell folks about that? Oh, yes. Another necessary, you know, as much as um, it is as much, is it, sorry, it is as necessary as framing Agnes in terms of starting conversations and um, continuing to have these conversations. I didn't see you there is by Reed Davenport, Reed got the documentary directing award at Sundance. And I'm, I'm really glad this is a bit on the experimental side aesthetically, but just in terms of the visuals, because um, Reed is uh, in, in a wheelchair. Uh, so he really brings to life the experience of being in a wheelchair by shooting just from that point of view and often just shooting the ground the constant motion because when you shoot on the ground you can see what it's like when someone is blocking you know you know the when the sidewalk goes down so that a a wheelchair or a stroller can go easily up you can see when someone's standing right there you can see when someone's parked their their car there and you start to get into the rhythm and in, into Reed's mindset, like you really start to understand from his point of view what his world is like, even though he, he even at the same time as he's telling us. Um, and it's it's really like an, such a vibrant meditation on being an other in a society. But it's also this meditation on spectacles and freak shows. Because I'll tell you, I should have like started with this part first, is that in his Oakland neighborhood, there is a circus tent that suddenly pops up one day. And that's what gets him started thinking about freak shows. So as he's doing his meditations on his everyday life, this he, he comes across this tent constantly, you know, as he's traveling around, you know, doing his like daily, daily stuff, right? And so more and more, he starts to meditate on that and on, you know, how that 
that was in some ways the only thing that a person could possibly do. Like, what was it like if you couldn't get a job except to be in a freak show because of something about you, something intrinsic to you? So there's a lot going on in this film. I don't, I don't want to really ruin it, but I just I really think it's important. Um, but it's fascinating. It's just, you know, I don't I don't want to say important as in like this is an assignment. I want to say important as in like you really have to see this. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about um, Aftershock? Oh, now Aftershock is this it's it's a serious conversation, um, which I will tell you right right now, it ends with a note of hope. And you're not going to understand why, because of what I'm going to tell you right now, aftershock, um, it, it delves into the crisis uh, that's happening in the States and probably here in Canada, it's just, we don't talk about it, is that um, black mothers uh, going into labor and having children, childbirth, right? There's an incredibly high mor- mortality rate. And the stats are mind boggling, the difference between, you know, um, what happens during childbirth or just after complications from childbirth um, between white women and black women. And, and it's just incredibly high. It, it, it's unbelievable. And so it's the film is uh, so powerful because it starts with actual footage of this couple, you know, on their iPhone. And it's like very casual, very personal, very lovely footage of like two people looking forward to the birth of their baby and it goes through that and then suddenly you find out that 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 woman in fact died in child just after childbirth and that's how it starts and and then it goes on to tell you um other stories but also um tell you about the two it focuses on two two men who are widowed because of uh, what happened to their wives in childbirth, uh, partners, and how these two men found each other, befriended each other, support each other, and then how they and the families, uh, their families, right, how they all are not just coming together to lobby for change, but also to support people and to, to give information, provide information, support people. And just, and that's where the hope and the inspiration comes is the way that you see these individuals turn things around as the film progresses. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking, but hopeful film. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move from, you know, heartbreaking to somewhat heartwarming. There's a film that I saw that I know, I think you saw as well, Fire of Love. Oh, yes. Yes. So that film is directed by Sarah Dosa, and it is a love letter to science. It's a love letter to love. Um, it, the film follows um, Maurice and Katya Kraft, and they were two French um, scientists who met and fell in love over their love of all things volcanoes. And they went on to essentially travel the globe and they made films, wrote books, gave a whole bunch of lectures on all things volcanoes. So 
what this film does is it compiles years of archival footage and interviews and really charts their love affair from when they first meet to as they venture off into essentially making this their livelihood, the fame that they achieve, how they handle it, the stresses that come from the fame, the constant traveling, um, and just the, the quirky personalities. And some of the footage that they were capturing is just jaw-dropping. Like, this is just a lush film to look at. But it's also deeply romantic. Um, it's one of those films where as quirky as the couple is at times, and there were times where Maurice came off a little bit of a jerk to his wife, there was always love at the at the core of everything. Um, and I think it's just a really interesting and uplifting film um, that speaks to the awe of, of nature and just the, the awe and, and power of love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in some ways I found it a bit quirky. Like I just, I felt like there's a narrator, right? The narrator is Miranda July and um, her, her narration can be melancholic. Well, okay. Let me stop being fancy. Her narration can sound like, you know, have a melancholy tone to it, but I thought there were times when I was wondering who wrote this fictional like it just seems like kind of flowery and they get perfectly in in tune with what you said about it being romantic so it's like yeah it's like romanticized and it sort of like mythologizes these guys but I don't mind like it's perfect for Mm -hmm. what we see it's perfect for what they do I mean they're trying to these two spend most of their lives trying to get as close to the to the the center of a volcano like the, the part that was erupting right they were especially maurice but but both of them were, were just like standing within meters the number of meters but still standing closer than most of us would dare to to get to to the to an erupting volcano so yeah there was this this sort of like mythic quality that was happening as well and uh I liked the way that the narration also seemed to have this intimate knowledge, which, you know, how could, how could anybody have that kind of intimate, that intimate detail, but it was like, I appreciated it because it, it actually gave us a better, you know, so in terms of people playing around with documentary form, it actually maybe gave us a better sense of these individuals than something that was strictly by the book documentary these are the facts you know um i like the creativeness in that and and just the the times when it just went off on these montages of erupting lava you know in the context of what they were doing in the context of the stories of their adventures and and things like that it would just suddenly stop for a second and then we we could understand what they saw in a, in a way, you know, because it, it looked so poetic. It looked so beautiful. This is going to be incredible on the big screen. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, this is definitely, definitely something to see at Hall Docs. Fire mm-hmm. of love. Yeah. And do you want to end things off with uh, Scrap? Oh, Scrap. Scrap is a scrappy film. Did I say that? No. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sorry. Fire of love got me all excited. Oh no, that's good. The scrap but was scrap, one that I was interested in seeing. So but scrap makes it. yeah, scrap makes me excited too. Scrap is by Stacy Tenenbaum. Uh it's Canadian film is gonna have its world premiere. And scrap is one like one of those things that shows you a picture of humanity, it shows you a picture of what humanity has done, but also gives you some hope you know so it's like it's fascinating in a variety of different ways and what it is about is the scrap metal things that the industrial age sort of taught us how to make cars and planes and things like that and then things that you know have a life have a lifespan that don't uh, don't go back into the earth easily. It takes centuries for this stuff to decompose. And so what happens to it? And so this is in some ways a cautionary tale about all this stuff, right? But in some ways, it's a testament to the quirkiness of people to see exactly what they have what we have done with it, like what certain individuals have done from making art to um, claiming it, reclaiming uh, an airplane as someone's home to finding a way to repurpose an old ship. You know, I don't, I guess, you know, because it's a world premiere, I shouldn't go into too much detail, but um I love the artistry of the actual making of the film, you know, the artistry of the people in the film and then the artistry of the making of the film. And it's, it's, yes, it's a, it's a film that talks about the environment and what we've done to the environment, but it sort of celebrates in its own way, how some people are really trying to, to do something to, to fix that. It's not all fixable, but some people are, you know, some people are are getting very creative and that's, that's that's always hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good and hopeful note to to end off on. Yeah. Well, we're going to have far more hot dogs coverage in our next episode uh, because there's so many films at this festival. So it's going to be, it's going to be a delight. Um, Yeah. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No, that's it. That's it for Frameline for this week. I'm Barbara Kosofsky, and for Courtney Small, thanks for listening.